So for the last several weeks, we've taken time to listen to what Jesus has to say to us. And actually, the portion of scripture that we've been giving our attention to is the last block of teaching that Jesus gave to us shortly before he was crucified. And Jesus knew and his disciples sensed that things were changing and would change significantly. And so today, I want to invite you to listen as Lexi Wendell, one of our members, reads John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8 is what she's going to read, and then we'll come back and look at God's word together. This morning's scripture reading is from John 15. This is verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like the branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so proved to be my disciples. Just in listening to these scriptures, you're aware pretty quickly that you have to pay attention and track with the analogy in this passage. And I'd like to start here. It's going to be really, really important for us to get clear on who is the gardener and what is his goal. Who is the gardener and what is his goal? So Jesus has another one of his I am statements here in John 15. He's had several in the book of John. And he says here in John 15, I am the true vine in verse one. And and even in verse five, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. But in verse one, he he says, and I want you to notice, Jesus tells us that his father is the vine dresser. Other translations use the word gardener. And I wonder if that's probably the, the most helpful analogy for us in our culture, the gardener. He says, our wise and good heavenly father is the gardener and he is overseeing all of this, all of this with it. He is overseeing with, with a care that not even all the acres of Longwood could match. He's tending this garden. He's the gardener and he has this goal. And actually the goal came up again and again. You heard it as Lexi read. The goal is that we would bear fruit. Verse two, that we would bear more fruit. Verse four, that we would, be a, we would be branches bearing fruit. Verse five, we would bear much fruit. Verse eight, again, the idea is bearing fruit. Jesus wants to make sure that we're clear on, on this goal. And he uses an analogy. He's, he's telling us that bearing much fruit is his goal. And, and bearing fruit means this. It means a full productive life. A full productive life. But there you kind of have to pause and, and think through Because there's lots of different ways you could describe productive or productivity. There's lots of different definitions of that. 
say you were to go in Barnes and Noble, which you actually can't, right? But imagine someday we will. We go, we go into a bookstore and there's all sorts of remedies for productivity. There's kind of the management and efficiency side of it. And then there's the health and wellness telling you this is what productivity looks like. This is what a full life looks like. And then you could even read in the history and biography section some lives that were, were great and so productive. And certainly there's going to be something in the how to make money and live a full productive life because you've made so much money. And then there's religious section, which in Barnes and Noble would be who knows what. But lots of things would, would point to you having some sort of rich, productive life. But when Jesus says that the goal of the gardener is that you bear fruit, what is he talking about? I actually think when you read John 14 and 15 and 16, you get this, you get this picture of the, the fruit that Jesus has in mind is some sort of spiritual fruit, fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that certainly takes us to this kind of overflowing evidence in our life of the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you compare this passage with, with Galatians 5, where the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, you begin to get the idea of how many good things flow out of a life that is, is productive and fruitful, showing those kinds of fruit. Uh, imagine how, how life is different, how full and productive it is. And I also think that kind of life has a huge influence on others. So when I think of fruitful life, I also have to think not just of what God's doing on the inside of my own life, but how that spills out. I mean, how are people loved better and served better when our lives are filled with that kind of fruit. So the gardener has a goal. And, and, and when we live a life like this, not, not to skip too far ahead, but in verse eight, it's, it's a life where we are proving we are disciples or apprentices of Jesus. We're, we're showing by our life. We, we know what Jesus looks like. We, we know what he would do. And in the end, the father is glorified. He's, he's made big, he's made large. This is what a productive life. And we need to listen to the words of Jesus. We need to listen carefully because a passage like this, I'm the vine, you're the branches, we could easily, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I got that. But, but do you really, do you understand all of what Jesus is telling us? The gardener has a goal, but the gardener goes to work, goes to work on us. And when he goes to work, what is that going to accomplish? So for our time this morning, I want you to understand and appreciate Three things that it accomplishes. It builds trust. It deepens a relationship. And it fuels motivation. When the gardener goes to work, what Jesus is telling us is this can, can build trust. It can deepen a relationship and it can fuel motivation. Look at the passage again. Look at, look at verse 2 in John 15. John 15, 2, Jesus says this, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Who takes away? The gardener, the, the father takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he being the father, the gardener prunes that it may bear more fruit. What Jesus is telling us actually can build trust in our father during a pruning process. What Jesus is telling us can build trust in our father even during a pruning process. Pruning isn't some sort of hidden feature. It's not in the fine print on page, you know, 75 of some sort of contract you signed and you didn't realize you were going to get pruned. You notice how Jesus puts that right up front. This is going to be a part 
of the Christian life. There is no ready-made finished product. None of us are dialed in everywhere to exactly where we need to be with no help needed, no extra work required. It's not the way it is. Jesus starts with cutting it. And actually, even in verse two, the idea of cutting, there's, there's actually two kinds of cutting. There's the, the cutting away, the taking away of branches that are not bearing fruit. So the idea is there is nothing spiritually happening. No fruit is being produced. It might have seemed in, maybe at some point in time that there was some sort of contact with Jesus, but now the reality is nothing ever was there. So there's that kind of cutting, cutting away, taking away. There's also the cutting back, the pruning. The original word here actually has a, a relationship to the word catharsis or, or cathartic, which definitely implies that the object or the, the person being pruned, it implies this is going to hurt. It's not going to be easy. And actually, there's, there's part of this pruning that may initially seem very counterproductive, especially on the surface. I don't think Jesus is hiding anything from his disciples here. Pruning is going to be painful. There's a sense you're losing something. Something's getting cut back. Something that you can't have. I wonder if this season we are feeling some of what that is like. I'm positive. I'm positive we are. Where you have to go without something. Where you have to realize there, there are going to be seasons of your life where there is less capacity to do something. There are seasons of your life where you had all this influence and then there, there may come a season and it may be 2020, it may be 2030 where your influence that you once have is diminished, it's cut back. And that feels like something good is gone. There's a stage of life that you really enjoyed and it was good for lots of reasons. Something like really, really close to your heart that just disappears overnight or slowly fades and you realize that's cut back. I don't, I don't have this anymore. There's something, in, and here's the painful part of the pruning is there's something that seems like, seems like it was growing. It seemed like it was showing signs of life and we imagine because we we think like, oh, this could happen and this could happen. This could happen because of this and because of this and because of this. And then in a moment, you look around and you go, it's not there anymore. I don't have it. It's cut back. It seems like this kind of pruning we would want to avoid at all costs. Just speaking in the flesh, like who wants that? Who wants everything cut back? But in an effort to produce more fruit, the gardener goes to work. Pruning is hard. It'll never be easy. And here's what I sense even in this passage. It requires an intense amount of faith in the goodness and the wisdom of the one doing the pruning. An intense amount of faith. For Christians, it's going to be more personal than what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. We've got to have something more personal than that. It's not just the tough experiences that make you stronger. It's that you have a gardener that is superintending this process. Who's deeply committed to your well-being. Who deeply loves you. And then goes to work so that you might bear more fruit. Jesus makes it clear that these disciples are his. He says it in verse 3. Already you are clean. Already you have been cut. Even there the word is, is similar. They've experienced the cleansing that comes. The cleansing that happens when 
the word of God comes to us. You've been cleaned by God's word already. But then there is the cutting back. Already you've been cleansed. You've been things from your life that would be harmful have been cut away. The word of God cut away the hard heart and instead implanted a heart that's sensitive to the things of the Lord. It cleans us from the inside out, a dramatic work in saving us. We call that work like conversion, transformation. I mean, these are, these are words to say we have been made clean. God has gone to work in our lives. Jesus did for us in our, in our place on the cross what we could never do. And, and, and we trust in him. We trust in the good work that he's doing. I can be okay. This is the, the painful lesson that we learned is I can be okay only when I know who the gardener is. I can be okay when I know his goal for me. When I know the gardener has good designs. Okay, I can be led in the wilderness if I know the gardener is doing this to humble me and test me. I can, I can handle the pruning if I'm confident that the one who began a good work is going to be faithful to complete it. You see how this builds trust in our father, even during a pruning process. What Jesus is telling us actually can build our trust in this process. And before we leave this, can you, I'd love for you to do this. Can you identify areas of pruning right now? It's actually not that hard for me to think through some of those areas in my life. Could you take some time to think through that? Could you write it down? And then could you ask yourself, do you have confidence in the gardener? And since you can have confidence in him, what's that going to mean? Remember, the gardener has a goal. And if the goal is producing fruit, how is that going to happen? So again, we're, we're living in these analogies. Jesus is, what, what Jesus is telling us actually, though, can deepen our relationship with Jesus as, as we produce fruit, as he produces fruit in us. So not only is this building trust with our father, but this is actually deepening our relationship with Jesus as we produce fruit. Fruit producing is connected to him, but how does that happen? So there's analogies that get combined here. So you start with like vine and branches, and that's kind of the analogy. And we've got categories for that and kind of understanding where Jesus is going with this analogy. But then the word abide pops up in verse four and in verse five and in verse six. And in verse seven, the word abide keeps coming up, abide in me, and I'm going to abide in you, and my words should abide in you. And so what does that word abide mean? I know, having heard it most of my life because I've been in church, abide always sounds really, really spiritual. And it sounds like the people who would abide are like the VIP Christians. Those are the people that like, man, they are, they are the best of the best. And all, of, uh, all the rest of us are just kind of bumbling and stumbling around, doing our best. But then there's some people that are abiders and those people like, wow. But Jesus is looking. Can I remind you of who's in the room that night? Jesus is telling these disciples, I'm abiding in you and you are abiding in me. And he's looking at disciples like Thomas with all of his doubts and his questions. And he's looking at disciples like James and John who are elbowing each other out so that they can be like, First, when Jesus sets up his kingdom. And he's looking at disciples like Peter, who has no problem telling Jesus and anybody else who will listen how, how superior he is to the rest of these guys. 
Now, this isn't a room filled with overachievers. This is a room filled with ordinary disciples, followers, apprentices of Jesus. This is being a true Christian. So we're not in a VIP category of like the abiders. That's not that kind of category. It's, It's all of us. And here's the insight I feel like just made sense to me this week, even as I was studying. It helps me to think of the word abide and the concept of Jesus abiding in me and I abiding in him just simply as Jesus making himself at home in my life. Jesus making himself at home in my life. So I, I'm thinking, no disrespect here, but I, I'm thinking like in, in the living room. Jesus, that present with me, not two doors down as a friendly neighbor. I could call on if I needed anything. But in the living room, in the den, in the kitchen, hearing all the conversations, a part of every decision, seeing every tear, understanding every joy. He is, he is making his, himself at home in my life, in all the mundane things, in all the significant things. He is at home with the things that make me so excited and the things I look forward to. He, he's with me in the things that make me feel so bad or uncertain, things that could depress me, things that could make me smile. All the fears, all the analysis, all, all the ideas of career, all the short-term and long-term ambition. He is at home in that. He is at home in that. He has made himself at home. His words in verse seven have made themselves at home in my life. He's not a stranger. We know what it means. We know what it means, right? You know what it means when you tell someone, you just make yourself at home here. It means they, they have... They have just anything they, they want to feel comfortable in this space. It means you're on the same page with things. It means like there is all access. And all access sounds like really, really cool when you hear like a documentary, you get all access. But I think like all access to my life, that, that, I don't know, that doesn't sound, is that exciting? Not so much. Would it be troubling? Probably. Jesus is at home. There's less secrets. There's no need for pretense. We're sharing our life. There's more conversation. Because as he is at home, I'm getting to know him better. Getting to know what he wants. My life begins to look like Jesus lives here. Jesus is present here. Jesus is at home here. My guess is is that if you've only had a bit of a like a little religious practice in your life. Some of this has to sound a little bit strange. There's never thought of like Christianity is this. If most of your religious life, even if you self-identify as a Christian, even if you're a part of Ogletown, if most of your kind of religious life has been just occasional attendance, doing this ritual, that ritual, saying a few obligatory formal prayers occasionally, it sounds so different, doesn't it? It's a different category for you. But I have to also talk to those that maybe you've identified like, like I would as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian for decades now. I have to say, as I read this, I don't know if it's negligence. Maybe it's just because I like to be in charge and in control. Maybe it's just sheer foolishness. But I realize that there can be areas of my life where Jesus isn't really functionally making his home at all 
But like there are areas as I did some emotional and mental and spiritual inventory here. I began to think through the things that really are most stressful to me. The things that are weighing me down the most seem to be areas where for some reason or another, it can only be foolish reasons. I somehow walled off and said, actually, you're not going to be at home in this area. It's almost as if I've treated him a stranger in that area. Sometimes the truth is I act like he's two doors down. The friendly neighborhood let me borrow his lawnmower if I ever needed it, but like really isn't at home living with me. Or maybe something else that can happen is someone or something else really takes up residence in our life. We just don't have time for him. All, all of his presence just gets so diminished. How different it is when Jesus is that someone in the house that makes plans adjust and people behave differently. Abide in me. I'm going to abide in you. Shouldn't we ask the question, where has Jesus been more like a friendly neighbor and not really making himself at home in my life? Shouldn't we ask that question? Where where is that going? What areas have been sealed off from him? Like this area of my life? Jesus has little to no involvement. That that doesn't concern him. He gets concerned about the spiritual stuff. Is that a warning sign? How many of those areas are in your life right now? What does that say about us? It may be an uncomfortable conversation, but it does hold out hope that there actually could be more life than you've ever experienced as Jesus abides in you. Because of the personal presence of Jesus in the living room or den, it means that This is a vital part of our life. It makes us even more aware of all that we need and all that he can provide. I love this. So we kind of move from the living room and we go out to the garden again. And when we go out to the garden, something about Jesus making himself at home in our lives means that since he is the true vine and the root and I'm the branch, I'm connected to all of his vitality, all of his support, all of his strength. I love this in verse four. It says, abide in me and I in you as the branch could never bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's even a a warning that comes if we're not abiding him. Yes, of course. So he is the vine. He is the true vine. And I'm a branch because, because Jesus is the, is the one who has ruled for eternity. He is the rescuing king who has come for us. He is the true vine, the one, the only one who can make everything new. He is the one that deals with our rebellion against him and forgives us and pardons us. He's the true vine and he's the only one that can breathe life into us. You need to know you don't just need Jesus's stamp of approval on your life. You, you need him like a branch needs the vine survive. Even when life is getting stressful, anxieties are picking up. It's no less true that Jesus at home with you is going to produce fruit. Do you, do you act as if your life depended on him? Because that's exactly the analogy. That's exactly the truth he is pointing us to in this analogy. Inevitably, when we are, we are at home with him, fruit is going to be produced. We have such a contrast in verse six because verse six says, if anyone doesn't abide in me, the picture is like thrown away, 
like a branch that, that withers and the branches, you gather them and they're useless. You throw them into the fire and they're burned. If someone is cut off from the supply of nutrients and support and growth that only he can provide, we've got a serious image here, don't we? A serious picture. As a matter of fact, even, even this week as I was looking in my backyard, I realized that it's rare that you have like the perfect analogy, the perfect illustration, but right there in my backyard gathered right behind my shed is this, all these branches that are piled together really of no use, no life is, no life is coming. Just as quickly as he mentions the real threat of like not abiding in him and what that means, he goes like the pronouns change and he assures his disciples, that's not you though. That's not you. You're not like that branch that's just going to be cast away, gathered and thrown in the fire. You're not like that. You are in me. So it doesn't make me ask the question. I don't know your heart. We may never have met. But Jesus does know your heart. And what would he say to you about this, like producing fruit? And are, are you the branch? Or are you that branch that's just been cast away? Because there's really no life in you. How would he, you do have a relationship with Jesus. How would he assess that? And what would be the right response to his assessment? What Jesus is telling us could build our trust in a pruning process. And it also can deepen our relationship with him. But Jesus goes one more place and it's a really, really generous place. And it makes total sense to me that Jesus goes here. And by the way, Jesus' presence and power always leads him to go to, to this place. He, he always tended to go through this. When thinking the disciples wouldn't have everything they need to make it through life, what Jesus is telling us actually can fuel motivation to ask Jesus for things. He always seemed to go here. Jesus points us to asking him for things. You can call it praying. You can call it asking. But it, this passage is meant to fuel our motivation. The context of these words of Jesus can really, really motivate us. As I understand this context, it, it seems to me that Jesus is saying, you know the Father wants you to bear much fruit. You know that. You know that's what he wants from your life. You know he wants you to be rich and full and productive. And because of that, ask, ask for that. Ask for the conditions that are going to bring about much fruit. Ask for that. Ask for the endurance and faith to see that happen. Ask, ask, ask. There's an intention for Jesus. Regularly, he talks about this. Like he doesn't want to limit your prayers. He doesn't want to limit my prayers. He doesn't want to say you get one request per week. So better make it a good one. He doesn't say you're going to get three requests in your life. You better make it the right ones. It seems like when Jesus talks about prayer, the, the place he wants to go is whatever, whatever. Keep asking whatever you wish, especially as it relates to the productivity of, of living a life that would bear much spiritual fruit. Like ask for that. God is eager to answer these kinds of prayers. Start asking. Start asking for help. I'm positive there's a thousand silly ways we could go with this kind of open request from Jesus. But I mean, if we're reading it in context, you start asking for help. You start asking for endurance in the pruning. You start asking for new desires to trust and even enjoy Jesus' presence in your life. Better yet, do this. Think through who could join me in praying. So it's not just, I, I'd love to think of you individually praying, but I, would, I think I would love it even more if there would be pairs or groups of people praying. Someone kind of raises their hand and says, 
I am going through a season where things are being cut back and it hurts. Pray for me. And a group gathers around and prays. How powerful would that be? These words of Jesus are so powerful, so powerful. I've watched them this week build trust in my life that the father knows what he's doing when he's pruning. I've watched this week as Jesus' words have deepened my relationship, I've kind of opened up these areas and said, Jesus, make yourself at home right there. Make yourself at home here. Make yourself at home there. As I've kind of said, this isn't off limits. That's not off limits. Go ahead. I I need your help right in the middle. And, And then it's just fueled motivation to say, Jesus, I need your help. I need your help. So I'm going to try to apply what Jesus told us. What I'd like to do is I would like to ask the father that many would hear his words today. And then that would have a cleansing effect on us. That our faith in what Jesus said would cleanse us. And I'm going to ask that we would be receptive to Jesus making himself at home in our lives. Maybe more receptive than we've ever been. And flowing from Jesus's residency with us. I'm going, to, I'm going to pray that there will be a lot of fruit produced by followers of Jesus, especially those connected to Ogletown's family here. And I'm going to ask for many of us who are being pruned by our father, even as Jesus has taken up residence with us, that we would trust our father in new ways. And that even good things, more good things would flow out of our lives all to the end that whether we eat or drink or whatever we would do, we would glorify, we would glorify God. Can I pray for us? Our father, on this passage, we know that you are the gardener that is totally worthy of our complete trust. And we confess Sadly, at times, we don't trust. Forgive us, Lord. Have mercy. We recognize that you do 100% of all that you do. You do it well. Even the times of pruning. Those seasons, we recognize based on the words of Jesus, and we have confidence in them, they are for our good. So continue to deepen our relationship with Jesus so that our lives would produce many things that show how great you are. We know, we know we are only branches. And apart from the life you give, we would be dead. But we ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the true vine. Answer these things for his sake. Amen.